episode of the Classic Pickup Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whips, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by Classic Pickup Supplies, your number one Ford and Chev pickup parts supplier. Mention Classic Truck for a 10% discount off your first order. Classic Pickup Supplies, located in Coolum Beach, Queensland. Call 07 5446 2667. Or visit their website, www.classicpickupsupplies.com.au. Classic Pickup Supplies, dedicated to the restoration and preservation of the pickup. Episode 50. This week I've caught up with Rowan Hudson from Australian Auto Air in Echuca down in Victoria. Rowan's a vintage air dealer and it's really good to have a chat to him about some aircon options and a local guy who does installs and has done it for years and knows all about it. So... I think you get a lot out of this episode. If you want to know a bit more about Vintage Air, Ronnie from C10 Talk did a great interview with Rick Love back way back in episode 42 of the C10 Talk podcast. So have a check of that one as well if that's what you want to hear about. I want to put a big thank you out to our Patreon supporters again. They're really good to have the support and really helping me to just keep things rolling here at the podcast. Next week, I'll be chatting with the Queensland engineer. So if you're up north in Queensland and have any specific questions you'd like me to ask, send me an email, classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. And hopefully I can pass the question on and we can get some answers for you. Anyway, thanks, guys, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, so, Rowan, thanks for joining us on the podcast, mate. I appreciate you taking the time to have a chat to us. Uh, Aircon's something that's high on my list to learn a bit more about for my build, and I know a lot of our listeners, you know, it's always one of those things where you're trying to see what you can piece together to, to create something so we'll have a good chat about that uh as we get going but tell us a little bit about yourself mate what what was your early you know automotive influences well i um my dad's been a hot rider forever he's always had cars um i've always had a, a big interest in cars uh, always well since i can remember i've always been out in the shed giving him a hand with his stuff i had my first car when i was 11 i had an eh holden with did up and um sold made a few dollars and then brought another one and yeah that's where it sort of started then I, I started an apprenticeship as a mechanic when i was 16 did that and always always had cars and yeah that's where it started i guess yeah yeah what what was your dad's flavor was he into hot rods you know like early fords and things or what what was he tinkering with he had a few different cars um he had a 55 ford sunliner convertible like a custom line in the convertible and he had an a model tutor at the time so but yeah, normally the custom lines was his thing. Um, he had a, a custom line sedan as well, but the convertible, I remember helping him build, do the conversion from left to right-hand drive. Back then, you couldn't leave him left-hand drive. This is probably 30 years ago. Yeah, so no, it was good memories of helping him with Dad. You know, we pulled the old Y-block out and put a 351 Cleveland in it and you know, FMX and 9-inch and things like that. And No, it was good. Just enjoyed working out in the shed. Always loved working on cars. Yeah, it sounds similar to my my upbringing. My old man had a 59 Ford custom line and, you know, he was Ford through and through and, and I've ended up a Chev guy and it sounds like you have too. You know, you, your dad was a Ford guy and your first car was a Holden. Was was that something that he was true and died Ford guy or was that just sort of he just happened to have a few? 
No, Dad likes his Fords. He always has. Yeah, I'd say he's a Ford guy, but he did have a 58 Chev um, and Pillar thing a few or probably 20 years ago, and that was a really good car. He had that for a while. So he's not just Ford, but pretty mainly pretty much Ford. He likes his Fords. He's got a, a 56 Victoria Coupe now, which is like immaculate 312 wide block in it, and um, yeah, a really tidy car. So yeah, I suppose you'd say he's pretty much a true Ford sort of a guy. But yeah, yeah, they're they're a beautiful car. They're um. He he loved the custom line. I don't. Know, it was something I think in high school that it must have been the car that he always saw. And and you know, we walked into Shannon's one day and they had one sitting on the floor, and and that was it. We drove it home, and yeah, he we went to every car show with that thing. So yeah, I love a custom line. They're a good they're a good looking car. Yeah, yeah. No, we did lots of car. I remember oh, when I was eighteen, I had a, a mini tub ZC Fairlane, and my mate had a, an XB Coupe. Um, and we wanted to go to Summonats, and we thought we couldn't even afford the fuel in these cars to go. Mine had tunnel ram and hand out the bonnet and bits and pieces. So on apprentice wages, we couldn't really afford the fuel to go. So Dad gave me the keys to the Sunliner. Well, um, that was awesome. Cruising Northbourne Avenue and just the, yeah, it was just cutting laps with, you know, in a convertible was awesome. It was just nothing quite like it. Mm, no, that's cool. And so when, when you did your apprenticeship, was it, was it a bit of a, you know, like a speed shop or was it a regular mechanics kind of deal? What what was that like for you? Sort of, it was a regular mechanic shop. The boss was a Mercedes-Benz technician. Uh, so we did a lot of Mercedes in there, which I didn't like working on. He had a couple of XE1 Taranas um, in the shop. We did a little bit of performance stuff, but not a lot. Yeah, so that's I went from there to then BMW and then finished my apprenticeship with BMW. And then... Um, I guess me went to Mazda and worked there for a while and then I uh, ended up getting my own shop. And then, um, yeah, and then I worked, had that for a while and then got out of it and then back into mechanics again. And then, um, what did I go from the Wignall Ford for a little bit of Ford dealership? And then I brought a couple of Natrad radiator shops, one in Mornington, one in Rosebud, because I wanted to still be in the trade, but I wanted to be just something a little bit different. So I wasn't working on cars all the time because, I'd find that you'd worked on cars all day and you get home, the last thing you want to do was work on your own because you just got over it. Yeah. And I didn't want to be burned out by that. So, um, yeah, I brought these couple of shops. I had staff and everything. You know, a lot of issues with this, when you had staff and bits and pieces. So we got all them all sorted and ran those shops for a few years. And then we ended up shutting the Rosebud one because it just, oh, just yeah, it wasn't working that well. It wasn't that far away from Mornington. So um, we just ran one big shop in Mornington and I had that for 18 years. Yeah, and we all need a radiator in the Aussie summer, that's for sure. So that was so that was as a franchisee, is that how that worked? It was a franchise. I dropped the franchise after a while because they just kept putting the price up and up and up. It was yep. getting ridiculous. So um, I dropped the franchise and we just stuck as the radiator workshop, which is a good shop. It, it's got a good name down Mornington. It's been around for years. And probably about 10 years ago, I introduced the air conditioning into it because even normal air conditioning on normal cars because we we never done that down there. So, um, yeah, which we're just, you know, repairing. And we used to do a lot of smash work for, like, panel shop stuff for the radiators and condensers and all that sort of thing. So um, I brought the aircon side into the business. And as a mechanic, I knew it anyway, but just, you know, learned more as we went along. And because um, I've always got old cars, I thought, oh, I want to put air onto my old stuff. And um, there's a market there for that. And that's where I started pushing it. Yeah, it's taken off from there. And things like engine brackets. Uh, I struggled trying to find brackets, so I found a company that was actually making them, and just really hard to deal with because like they had a few other things on the go as well. So every time you rang up to order one, it was just like, oh yeah, hopefully a couple of weeks I'll be able to make it. 
So I end up buying all that, their stock and templates and everything off them because it's just easy to do it all myself. So I manufacture all the brackets for like holding sheds, boards, all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, and then like I said, after 18 years of dealing with staff and everything else and having the business down there, we wanted a river change. So we sold the business and moved up to Echuca and now I just work on my own and we do all the custom air cons, all in-house, all the installs and we sell kits all around Australia and make all the brackets and yeah, and just I love it. It's great. It's peaceful. It's quiet. The weather's better. Yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't blame you. I yeah, I lived in Melbourne for a little while, and I guess it's it's good for some, but you know, I I'm a country kid. I grew up in uh, I grew up out around uh, the back of Winton Racetrack. I used to I used to serve um, chips and drinks to the you know Peter Brock and Dick Johnson and all the boys down the pits. <laughs> we used to we had a little mini pit bike, and uh, they'd phone their orders in, and you'd go down, you'd do the We'd all fight who could do the deliveries down to the uh, the pits at Winton. So, yeah, I grew up in the country. But um, so, what what was the first vehicle that you you know nutted it out and, and fitted your own aircon into for the first time? First one was a I had a '63 Parisian four door hardtop, just a small block auto car, and um, yeah, we put an underdash unit in, made the brackets up, and plumbed it all up, and it worked great. And I just thought, well. You're going cruising, it's always in summer you're cruising. I mean, yeah, it's nice to have the windows down, but I just thought, well, at least when it's really hot, at least you can have the air on and be comfortable as well. So, and that worked good, and that's what I thought. There's definitely a market. You, you know, it's like it doesn't matter if it's a pickup or a sedan or whatever you're building. You spend a lot of money building the car, and, you know, why hold back for a little bit of comfort? I mean, you get people saying, oh, I don't need air con, blah, blah, blah. Well, why don't you? Nowadays, it's not a big ugly thing under the bonnet that takes up horsepower and everything else. Like, nowadays, they're, they're pretty compact and you know, and small, like you can get them so you can't really even see it. And what you can see, you can detail up, so it's not really ugly anyway. Yeah, I think that's the key. I I remember at one stage, my dad had this uh, Toyota Corona, I think it was some horrible little thing, but we he bought it and it had one of those old school under the dash in the passenger, you know, leg area kind of units. And you know, even as a teenager, I was six foot tall and. I couldn't even sit in there because there wasn't enough space, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, look, those units still are available, and in the right car, they can look okay. It's a cheaper option. Um, the best ones were was one of the Australian vintage dealers, so I, I sell their product because because I like their product and they work well. Um, I did a bit of R and D before we actually got into being a dealer for them and looked around and checked out a few of the different companies and found their product to be the best. So that's you know. I, if I sell something, I want to make sure it's it's a good product. I'm not going to sell it just because you know it's there. It's it's got to be a good thing. Um, but yeah, those the old knee freezer units they call them under dash. Yeah. We still sell them. I've got some that look old school and uh, in the right car, you know they can look fine. If people just want to add just aircon on a little bit cheaper option, yeah. Otherwise, you go the the vintage air concealed unit, which is up behind your dash, which you can't see. So it's like a normal car late model car, windscreen face, floor defrost, it's all hidden, all works great, heating, cooling, the whole bit. And, yeah, it's, it's a good thing. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And I think you mentioned to me, you know, you said you went, you actually went over to the States and and sort of went around Vintage Air's set up and had a good look at it all over there. Yeah, I went over, I've been over a couple of times now. They're in uh, San Antonio in Texas. So um, I've been over there and checked out the workshop and where the warehouse and where they, and been down the production line where they make the whole lot for the whole, all the way through. Yeah, no, it's just it's always good to, to see the product and where it's made and how it all goes together. Yeah, fantastic. So, 
as far as you know let's just say i'm putting together a budget build and my engineer says to me all right this is what you need to have as a bare minimum it's it's normally just a defrost for your windscreen that's that's kind of the roadworthy thing you need is that correct that's right yep yeah you got to defrost the windscreen yeah and they often say a two-speed fan so um yeah so that's something like that you look a normal vintage air kit supplied roughly you're looking around about the $2,600 mark. That's the unit that goes up behind the dash. So it's your heater and your evaporator. Um, comes with the controller. Then you've got your condenser, which goes in front of the radiator. You've got your compressor, obviously on the engine, a bracket, receiver dryer, pressure switch, and all the hoses. So basically that's a complete kit, do-it-yourself kit. Yeah, so your, your entry entry level uh, vintage air, about $2,700. Yeah, around about $2,600, Yep, that's it. Everything's applied, yep. Yep. Cool. And one of the questions I suppose that I, I find interesting, I know they, you know, they supply um, all different kinds of louvers and vents and, and, you know, they've got some control panels that look era correct and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I know you, let's just say I've got a 1950 Chev pickup. So I know you can buy a kit for that and it's got the little underdash um, kind of louver duct set up. But the stuff I've seen is all built for left-hand drive because that's where their market is in America. Do they do a right-hand drive or is that a case of me just going to that effort to change it up? No, they don't make one. They, yeah, they don't really. They make their kits and that's it. I find what I normally fit into most right-hand drive cars are the universal kits because you can sort of mount them anywhere central or even behind the glove box. The ones like the Shawfit kits are designed for the certain model. Like they are a better kit but they're designed to fit in the passenger footwell. So you can't fit them in the other side because they just they won't fit. You know, you've got a steering column and pedals there. So um, some people say you can turn them upside down or do this, but you can't. They're not designed to be there. So, um, yeah, there's not actually a, a model-specific kit for the right-hand drive ones. But um, you can always make the universe ones fit, no problem at all. Yeah, okay. So, so for the listeners, if they've got a... Um, a left-hand drive American import and they're driving at left hook, then their best bet would be to get a sure fit kit for that model and there probably is something available. If not, uh, you know, if you've got an Aussie vehicle or you've done a conversion, you're probably looking at doing some kind of a universal kit. Yeah, well, the, the sure fit kits are good, but the problem with them and no is at the moment getting stock because of the COVID and everything else that's going on in America, they've got limited staff and the stock, it's taking... Just to, I ordered a couple of kits the other day, and they're telling me between 12 and 14 weeks just to get them out the door of the shop in Texas. Then they've got to be freighted to LA to the shipping yard. Then they've got to go on a container. Then you've got another four weeks of time it gets to Melbourne. And then by the time it goes through quarantine, it'll ring it's another week or two from there. So it's a real pain in the ass at the moment getting that sort of stock. Where, And the problem is if I order one for stock, for example, to say a, you know, a 48 and 53 Chev pickup aircon kit, well, I guarantee someone's going to ring out and want one for a 57 Chev pickup, you know, and they're different. So it's, it's hard to stock that stuff because you don't know what you're going to sell and every kit's different. So it's easier just to have the universal ones on the shelf and they'll fit all cars. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then, so if I wanted to do one for my for my truck, for my build, I get a universal kit and I can, I can choose... You know, I've got a choice of probably, you know, five or six different control panels, you know, what I think is the style I want, or I can put a different style of 
louver, I can have a round one or a rectangular one, like all those options I can mix and match all that stuff? Yeah, 100%. Yep, yep. And if you want that look of, say you, you want to put an ear in the ring, but you don't want to see it, well, you can hide your vents up under the dash where you don't see them. The unit's up behind the dash where you can't see. And you can put the controller in the glove box. So when you want to turn it on, it's just a matter of flicking the glove box lid open and the controller's in there. So once the glove box is shut, you can't even see it at all. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's There's another cool. option. Yeah. You didn't want to see it. Yeah. And, and another thing that's that's tricky on a lot of these, especially with the pickups, I, I think sedans are, are not so bad, but, you know, is your, is your defrost duct, I mean, you, you look at a classic dashboard and Aussie pickup truck, I mean, there's nothing there, really. It's, you know, you've got the little couple little slots that the old windscreen wipers. Yeah, they come with a universal vent. They go on like a, a defrost duct, like a, a lube. It's like a flat funnel, you sort of call it. Um, and you just mount them up underneath. But normally they've got a slot. But if they haven't got a slot in the dash at all, you can buy, they make a billet, sort of a trim that's got louvers in it. So you can actually like cut a slot in the top of the dash and then screw this to the top of your dash to give you a bit of a nicer look on the top of it. So there's, there's options. They make an option for, for basically everything nowadays. Yeah, no, that's good. So, all right, cool. So I'm going to keep talking about my build because that's what I'm interested yeah. in. <laughs> but... Um, yeah. But obviously, you know, guys listening, uh, they're going to have specific questions and their best bet's going to be to contact you and have a chat. But um, if we talk about my build for a minute, so I'm putting a 12-valve Cummins diesel, which is out of a 96 Dodge Ram, into my build. So, yeah, that'll be cool. Yeah, so it, it's got the Dodge Aircon um, compressor on there. Now, I know yep. most of the kits you guys, I think, use the Sandon 508. Um, would would the would the whole kit work if I used my original compressor? Or would you recommend, look, just put the new compressor on and we just put different bracketry and we set it all up properly? I would probably run with the Sandon compressor because they're more designed for that. Now, the problem with the one on the Dodge um, depends on what compressor... Some have got, they call them uh, variable displacement compressors, and they've got a control valve inside them, so they don't actually cycle. They don't have a clutch on the front, so they run all the time, and it's got like a pressure relief valve inside that opens and closes, which is all right for a system that's designed for that, but the vintage air is like a basic, it's still a late model system with all the good stuff in them, but they're not designed for that electronic style. You, you really need a normal compressor that's going to cycle. Right. So, yeah, your best option would be run a normal, like a 508 you know, sand and compressor, then the system's going to work spot on. You won't have any problems at all. Yep. And then I would just create uh, a bracket that would fit my engine and, and my uh, serpentine belt to work the best for that situation. Yeah. Now, we've got, you know, something like that's not a common sort of a um, <laughs> compressor, so a bracket anyway. So, we've got universal brackets, so they're already sort of half made. They've got all the adjusters built into them, so... That's something that you could work with to make a bracket sort of halfway already started then. Yeah. Yeah, cool. And then with, you know, the whole setup, obviously a lot of the time you're doing a four-door sedan, you've got, you know, you've got a lot bigger of a area that you're trying to heat and cool. And most of the guys yep. that are listening to us right now are driving a two-door pickup of some description. So... Do we get a smaller um, setup or is it pretty standard and, and we're just going to be real warm or real cold or, you know, what's what's the go with a pickup? 
Yeah, well, look, the engine bay is still the same. There's no difference between an underdash unit or a heating and cooling concealed unit under the dash. The engine bay doesn't change. So when it comes to under the dash, um, look, the bigger the unit, the, obviously the bigger the evaporator in there, the more efficient it's going to be. So, yeah, look, it depends. Like on a pickup, most of the, you know, you've normally got a fair bit of room under there. But by the time you start putting, you know, a lot of people are putting you know, LS engines in with ECUs and things like that, it fills up pretty quick. Um, all the wiring so yeah look the bigger the unit the more efficient it's going to be but you know as you said in a pickup there's not you're only sort of doing half a car you haven't got a lot of area to um to heat or cool yeah yeah and the the issue the issue that i face with this cummins is that i've got cylinder six inside the firewall so it's it's a bit bigger and then another option is you want to yeah, you want to make sure you've got plenty of insulation because otherwise you're going to get a lot of heat soak coming through the firewall from exhaust and engine and everything. So especially when you've got a cylinder in there, um, that makes a big difference. Like the Dynamat, and, you know, that's just a brand, but all that sort of um, insulation stuff like that, that does make a big difference. If you can try and keep the heat out of the car, um, it's going to make it more efficient inside. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, we actually had um, the guys from Car Builders on for an episode a little while ago and they, they're down there in Melbourne and do a lot of that sound deadening um, and heat deadening stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a really good point, I suppose. There's no point going and spending a whole bunch of money on a good vintage air kit if if your engine's just heating the cab up, you know, flat out. So it's a case of planning the whole system together, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's not just, you can't just go, right, we'll just bang air in it and it's going to work 100%. Like, if you've got something like a pretty tough engine that generates a lot of heat uh, and you've got, like, you know, big extractors that are real close to the floor, well, you're going to get heat coming through there, you know. Just because you've got a unit that blows cold air, you've got a floor that's going red noise. So you sort of got to, you know, it, as much dampening as you can do to try and, you know, keep that inside. It's just like a house, you know what I mean? When you build a house, you've got insulation in the walls and all that sort of stuff. Well, it's the same sort of thing. But, you know, the, the more efficient you can keep it, the better it's going to be. Hmm. No, absolutely. Cool. And... um and so on your website, which, you know, there's, there's a great amount of information there on the website. And if, if guys are looking to, you know, that they're looking towards their aircon and how they're going to do it all, um, there's some really good information there. But, you know, you, you go through these six basic components of, of the whole setup. And, you know, we've talked about it a bit already. You've obviously got your evaporator, which is uh, sitting inside underneath your dash and it's making everything happen. Um, compressor, pretty straightforward. You guys use the Sandon 508 for most of your applications. Um, you do some yep. engine bracketry, which is, you know, going to be engine dependent. Uh, the hose kits, uh, is that all a pretty straightforward deal or, or, or what's involved in that for a different yeah, build? Yeah, you got to be crimped. See, if someone's buying a kit and I send a kit to them, I can't really crimp the hoses because I don't know how long you're going to need it. So I just give you normally a generic length of hose and the, and the fittings. Normally, I work out which, you know, what most of them, a lot of 90-degree fittings you need, but all that and put it all in a kit. Um, and what I always say to the customers, like basically, you know, mark your hoses and fittings, and you can either go to like a, an NZ or someone to get them to crimp them, like if it's someone over in Queensland or Perth, which it's a, you know, a long way away, so they can get them crimped there. Or if they want, they can cut the hose themselves, mark them, and the fittings send them back to me, and I'll crimp them and send them back to you. Um, whatever's easier, easy to work in with people, whatever they want to do, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And then uh, the dryer's the next thing, so. You know, you're going to have that in line. Um, is that a, a – how does the dryer work? Is it is it effectively got like a filter inside that you replace or, or how do they work? Yeah, they've got desiccant. 
it's called desiccant balls, little tiny, little tiny balls, and they absorb the moisture. So it takes the moisture out of the system. So it's like it's basically a bit like a filter. That's what it works through. So yeah, that's it's um, it's a service item which they should be changed every couple of years. Most times they never get changed unless you're actually changing a component of the air conditioning, and that's why when you got it apart, you'll you'll change that. But um, yeah, and you can I mean, nowadays they're black. You can hide them down on the inside of the rad support or you know underneath the guard um i did one on a an f100 the other day it's a pretty tidy truck actually it's um there's pictures on our facebook page under australian auto wear um that was all hidden hoses up under the guard and just you know real nice neat job but um yeah as long as you can still access it and get to it it's not a problem mm, perfect and then the condenser um that generally just goes out the front of the radiator is is there, do people often sort of move them and hide them somewhere else or, you know, if you can do it, you really want it out front there where it catches all the air? Well, the problem is the cooler the condenser, the more efficient your air conditioning is going to be because it generates heat, comes out of the compressor, um, it's hot. So that's why, yeah, that's why you need fans on to cool it. Now, on some cars, there's no room, like, you know, different ones like hot rods is always a bit awkward to get them in. Um, you can mount them under the floor or the back, like if it's a pickup, for example, you could put it up underneath the tub as long as you've got airflow to it. So you could run it under there with a couple of thermo fans on it. And as long as there's airflow around it, um, it can work fine under there as well. Yeah, cool. And same same deal with, with my Cummins. You know, I when I brought that engine back from the States, I actually flew over there and I, I bought a running truck and, and went to town with a gas axe and, and chopped everything out of it I wanted. So I've got the original radiator and I've got the original condenser for the aircon. Now, once again, you know, I guess a question for you, would I bother even trying to use that or would I just get all the new stuff in the kit that works together and that's what it's designed for? Oh, it, it depends on on the fittings and the ends and stuff because um, the problem is they, like normally we use like a, a B-lock, that's the crimp end, but the ends are like, they've got the, like the AN style, um, but they're an O-ring and not a flare, but you've got like a six, eight and 10. Now, all production cars don't run those sort of, they have like pad fittings and like a little block with a bolt that goes on. Um, you can't really, they're awkward to buy exactly that. So if you were to run like, say, that original, you know, that RAM condenser, uh, you could probably use some of the hoses because you've already got them. Otherwise, it's going to make it awkward by the time you've got to cut ends off and weld ends on the condenser. Um, it just makes it hard to weld them off, especially TIG welding on them because because the air conditioning has been used, they've got oil in the system. Now, you've got to try and clean that to get a decent weld on it to change the ends. Yep. So, look, look, they're probably a good condenser, and it's going to work well and look neat because it's probably all attached to the radiator and, you know, works as one whole piece. But, yeah, so if you can get away with using the original hoses and doing that, great. If not, you're better off just starting again and putting a, a universal one on the front. Yeah. By the time you stuff around and do all that, you're not really saving any money, are you? No, and the problem is if down the track, if it gets stone damage to the original one and it leaks, well, then by the time you get another one from the States and then cut the ends and weld them and stuff around, it's, you know, it, it gets expensive. You know what I mean? I know you've already got it, but if you had to replace it, um, you know, it's getting one out of the States and it wouldn't be cheap. No, absolutely. And the other thing you guys have in there is a safety switch. Now, talk us through the importance of, of that. Well, it's in there, so in case the system's overgassed, for example, so it doesn't just keep pumping and blow a hose or something like that. Uh, and it's also there if there's no gas in the system, so the compressor's not going to run dry. So if you've got no gas in the system at all, 
the compressor won't cut in. Otherwise, it's just going to run dry and just destroy things. Yep. Which so that's mainly why it's there. So the pressure cut out basically. Yeah. Or you also got the um, the binary switch. It has it, so it can bring a fan on as well. So it's got at a certain pressure. A lot of the late model cars that run thermo fans have it. So when the air conditioning system gets to a certain pressure, um, it brings a fan on. Yep. Yep. No, very good. So. So yeah, if it, so we say about twenty six hundred bucks is a starting kind of ballpark area for a kit that I'm going to buy and I'm going to install it myself. Yep. And then, and and that includes heating, cooling. You know that that's sort of a all in one kit. Yes, and that that'll give you a windscreen face, floor defrost, all those functions. Yep, everything you need, everything it comes except for the pulleys on the engine, because um, they all vary different ones. But that's basically apart from that, everything else is in the kit. Cool. And then if I, let's just say I don't know one end of a, a wrench from the other, um, I just bring my truck to a Chuka to you and, and drop it off. What What is a, I know every case is going to be different, so we can't just give a price, but what, what's a ballpark drive-in, drive-out kind of price to get you to fit up a kit for us? Look, a, a normal drive-in, drive-out is somewhere between five and six grand. Depends on what upgrades and options. Like, you know, you start going, like, a billet serpentine front kit on the engine. Well, they're, like, three grand on their own. You know what I mean? And then you've got, um, you know, like I did one of those trucks the other day. He wanted all the fancy speed flow hose in through his heater because to match, like, a real tidy truck. So then there's $600 worth of fittings alone there. Then you can upgrade to billet pulleys, and then there's different controllers. So... But look, you know, normal five to six is a really neat, tidy job um, that's all, all fine. But, you know, it's like anything. You can always upgrade. There's always a better or a fancier or a build or a shiny part you can buy. Yeah, there's always a rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's awesome, Ron. Well, look, that's great information. And, and look, you guys, uh, it's funny because I, I was talking to um, a good friend of ours, Gareth, and... And he sort of put me on to you, and and I I found I found your Facebook page, and then next thing I know you pop up in Cruising Magazine, so it's it's pretty good timing, and and there's a great article in there. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, Cruising Magazine they flew down oh, probably five six weeks ago now to do a big photo shoot, which was great. Um, I've advertised with them for years. Um, yeah, no, it was good they come down, was, and we had some good stuff. There's always cool stuff in the factory. There always is. Um, but it was great. We had a bit of stuff in there when they turned up. So, um, no, it was good just to come through and do a photo shoot. Just promotes us a bit better. Um, I, like, I've got a website there. There's, there's stuff on it. But I'm more old school. I'd rather someone ring me. I know it's probably not the way the world works now. But I would rather someone ring me and speak to me and tell me what they've got and what they're trying to do. And then I can help them and answer them over the phone. It's just I find it easier to do that than... I mean, I still get emails every day as well, but I, I just find a phone call so much easier and more personal. Yeah, yeah. And we were talking about that before we started recording, but, you know, if if someone buys a kit from you and, you know, you ship it out to them and, and they're in their garage there on a Friday night and they're trying to get something to work and they're, they're stuck, I mean, you'll, you'll answer the phone and, and you'll have a conversation, you'll talk them through. There's, there's a really good support network. 100%. My phone's on. Ring me or if I'm busy, like I'm out for dinner or something like that, I'll, you know, send a text and I respond, but I'll get, always return them. That's the thing. It's, it's not a nine to five Monday to Friday job. Like, I mean, no, I'm not going to answer my phone at midnight, but 
but you know what I mean? Like normal common sense. If someone, and that's the thing with my kids, like if someone's not sure, I'm always happy. It doesn't matter if it's a Saturday night at 8.30 and they're potting around out in the shed and, oh, shit, which way does this condenser go? Well, hang on, on this dryer, it's got an end. Is that, which way does that go towards the condenser or the, you know, towards the evaporator unit? And just things like that. Or can we lay the compressor over a certain angle or this belt's not lining up? Or just ring me um, and I'll be able to answer your question on the phone, no problem at all. So that's, that's what it's about, helping people out. No, that's perfect. And um, last question, I suppose, with Vintage Air, what is the warranty on, on the stuff there? Like, how, how are they like for warranty and servicing? Oh, well, they give a 12-month warranty, but it doesn't make it awkward with their warranty because they're in Texas. So I've never really had any issues. Uh, a couple of small things, but I've just absorbed them because it wasn't worth the headache of trying to deal with them in Texas. And I mean, I, I don't know how they... It's, not that easy like you can't just send a unit back or something like that well shit it's cost you a fortune to send it back to texas and then by the time they go through and send them back and then do they air freight it or do they send it by you know that's yeah look if there's ever an issue i just sort it out it's always i'll absorb it whatever it is if someone buys something of me um there won't be a drama with it if there is i'll replace it or fix it for them straight away awesome can't ask for more than that yeah well, you just do the right thing. You know, we're here for a long time. I'm not going anywhere. Um, we've got a good name around the place. And you just do the right thing and look after people. It's, it's not rocket science, you know. It's, yeah. Yeah, perfect. All right. Well, that's great. So anyone listening that wants to check out a bit of your stuff, you've got the website. It's australianautoair.com.au and a uh, pretty good little Facebook page. Um, your phone number's on both of those. So based in Echuca, but happy to service people all over the country. Yeah, yep. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Rowan, well, mate, thanks a lot for taking the time to, to chat to us and, you know, a bit of information there that's that's good for everyone and, and I'll certainly be giving you a holler sometime in the near future because I, uh, I definitely need to get my set up for my truck and, uh, yeah, hopefully cruising in the chilled air on a hot summer's day, I look forward to it. Sounds good. Well, yeah, thanks for the opportunity to, um, to have a, a chat and go from there. It was great. Great. Thanks, Rowan. Okay, thanks, mate. Bye. Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All information shared in our episodes is general and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes, or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad. So please feel free to shoot me an email, classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast, and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally, if you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. Just spend 15 minutes a day, even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket, you'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, enjoy the ride.